Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 331, featuring Saul Rogers, founder and CEO of Rewind. I have known Saul for many years. He and I hung out quite a bit uh, during uh, my time at Stuttgart when I was there. And uh, he's a very, very uh, interesting person, a very kind and entertaining person as well. Uh, but he has been Mr. VR in the UK and actually worldwide for a while and does some really, really interesting things. Kristen, what did you think of some of the cool things that Saul was sharing with us on this podcast? Well, I call him a virtual world connoisseur. Um, just yeah. <laughs> his love of VR, um, how he developed it into this amazing career. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, it was so interesting to learn um, just the connection it brings to people, especially during this time. He talks about um, just just how valuable it really is in our world today. Um, yep. And I liked how he talked about esports. Um, and yeah. this was a good point, how he humanity like loves risk and how we love sports. Mm -hmm. But this esports now has just taken like off by storm. So that whole section was amazing. And then just the future technology that will be available soon. Like it, it's just going to expand into Amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it, it was very interesting when you think about VR and sports and it just it just some, something a little bit different that we're talking about. And, and there's a lot of cool stuff that Rewind's doing and that Saul's been involved with. And I, you know, I think esports is fascinating. Uh, you, Kristen, you know very well that I'm not necessarily a big uh, sports guy. I don't watch football or basketball or baseball or anything that much. But the concept of what esports is and the fact that it's going to grow to such an extreme is fascinating. Uh, but not just that. I mean, like, like you said, said, Saul really knows about VR and has been thinking about it and thinking about the implications of what it does for a long time and has turned uh, Rewind into an extremely successful company because of that. I did I did uh, reconnect with Saul uh, through the real-time conference, which obviously makes sense based on what he's doing. Uh, and it's really cool to, uh, to do that. So anyway, really great having Saul on. And I really hope that someday I'll be able to hang out with him. But we'll see. We'll see when, when that time comes. Uh, okay. Okay, Kristen, we have a couple of cool big announcements. Uh, finally uh, that are coming, not necessarily in terms of events right now, but we've got some new products that came out recently. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, so V-Ray 5 from Maya and Houdini Update 1 is now available, and you can find out more about this at chaos.com. Yeah, these are big mm -hmm. updates, as uh, we mentioned. Uh, we The big thing that we're doing here is USD uh, support. Uh, we have a lot of great support in USD on the Houdini side. We're definitely, you know, in terms of the Maya side, it is uh, an initial support, but a lot of great stuff has been added. It's de definitely very usable uh, inside of Maya as well. Uh, but really cool thing for doing, you know, looking at Hydra and delegates, and there's a lot of things we can do with, uh, with USD right now. Uh, and that's obviously a big deal. A lot of people have been asking about that. So if you guys are Maya or Houdini users, definitely check out Update 1 because it's a big deal. And uh, what else is happening? The Vantage Update 1.3? Yes, Vantage Update 1.3 is out. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be, uh, that's a, a lot of cool stuff going on there. We've added some new shaders um, and uh, shader support more specifically and a, a bunch of other things as well. So go check it out, Vantage Update 1.3. Now, if people want to know more about the podcast, where can they go, Kristen? You can go to facebook.com slash podcast or chaos.com slash cggarage. And if you'd like to watch us on YouTube, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. 
Perfect. And if you guys have ideas for other podcasts or would like to give us some feedback, we would always love to hear from you. Labs at chaosgroup.com is our email. You can always reach us out, reach us there. Uh, you can always give us a feedback and a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are always welcome. Uh, and share us with all of your friends. <laughs> all right. That being said, please enjoy this amazing podcast with my good friend, Saul Rogers. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. I have to say, uh, 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 usually when you and I get together, it is at the local uh, uh, bar at the Maritime Hotel in uh, Stuttgart, Germany, where Absolutely. we have uh, hung out uh, for a long periods of time and enjoyed lively conversations with the likes of Ken Perlin. Uh, who is uh, known as the guy who makes Perlin noise? <laughs> it was used yeah. on the original Tron, um, but uh, but but yeah, it's it's generally uh, you know those are the kind of things we've done. But I, I haven't really had the opportunity to really sort of have a long form conversation with you about your origin story and what's uh, driving you and what you've been up to. So uh, yeah. let, let give it, give the audience a little bit of of that story. Where what's what's Ken's background? Um, I mean, sorry, Soul's background. I was talking about Ken. <laughs> I was about to say Ken's background. I can try. No, Ken's background, it. we know that one. Yeah, yeah. No, no. What's Soul's background? <laughs> um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a good story. I mean, so the short version, and I'll go to the long one. The short version was uh, I trained in animation and visual effects. Went and worked for Sony for a while, making computer play, PlayStation Two games. Went back to do a master's. During the masters, did some teaching. Realized I love teaching far more than I probably I like doing. So I end up becoming a university professor at Hertford University in the UK, which is still ranked number one by the rookies every year for quality of animation students and game students. And I did that for twelve okay. years. Wrote four degrees, two masters, supervised some PhDs. Didn't do one. Far too difficult. Didn't want to explain myself to other humans that much. And then thought, <laughs> okay. well, I'm going to die in the best job in the world. I better. You know, do something else. So I start a company. It can't be that hard, right? And I was wrong. It's okay. really, really effing hard, really hard. And that was ten years ago. And so oh. we, yeah. So we founded Rewind, and me and a good buddy of mine, Matt Allen, and we just did some kind of visual effects, some kind of high-end CG, lots of architectural visualization. And before I knew it, we kind of gathered pace and there was about 10 15 people and then we got our own office and then there was about 30 people and the first kind of dk1 came out and i realized that having done what we did before which was animation visual effects games 2d animation the tools were basically the same across all industries they were just narrowly focused so you could use them in architectural visualization or visual effects or games i was like well the games tool can be used in the architectural and the visual visual effects industry and vice versa. So we were already kind of very comfortable moving the team around between tools and deliverables. And so as right. VR was gathering 
dominance and pace, we were we managed to get ourselves out in front. We were a flag bearer by so many different industries where, you know, no one's used VR for allowing you to fly a, a Red Bull Air Race plane at 50 foot off the ground, 200 miles off, you know, 200 miles an hour. Yeah, we can do that. No one's used VR and AR to launch a car before. Oh, yeah, I could probably make you one of those and we will do that in Los Angeles and Jaguar will launch our electric. So we, we're a lot of that sort of what's new, what's shiny, what's difficult. And kind of we've got known as the company to go to if you wanted to try and create new content to talk to new audiences. But but so but this was at the sort of I mean, I'm, uh, obviously you have a background in in real time from the early days, yeah. right? So you've been thinking about real time in the gaming world and all of those yeah. things. When so it was hard. to you, it was a nat. Yeah, yeah. When it was when it was hard. Uh, but yeah. but so so to you, this this VR thing was a little bit more. Uh, uh, it was it was natural. It was a very natural thing for you to to, to consider. Yeah. Uh, but um, this was in the early days, right? This is in the, also in the days when people were like we can do everything in VR. We can do lots of, you know, there was, there was yeah, lots. Yeah. Of, so what was your, your motivation there? Um, <laughs> it's, what did it's you see as a driving force behind that? <laughs> well, yeah, there was the, there was the challenge. Everyone was running into it very headlong. Um, there was a lot of PR and marketing people who wanted a world's first insert VR or AR, whatever. Um, and then insert brand or product or whatever. And it was just to generate, free marketing they wanted an engadget story right. a, a gizmodo a, a verge or whatever else and they didn't really mm -hmm. care about the quality of the content because you know what a couple hundred people might see it at a weekend and our challenge was always to build uh to take the money from a company like that but generate quality content that we knew was pushing the medium forward so the storytelling techniques were being and the r d techniques we required and the reach was being required and all the stuff where People came out of it and went, oh, my mind was changed or my mind was blown right. or I can't wait to do another one of those instead of, right. oh, that was awful. Why do I bother putting my head into that? I feel a bit queasy or sick or sure. anything else. So I was always sure, sure, sure. fighting for quality of content for the audience more than anything else. Um, and I think that just comes from a drive that knew, knew that it, for me, VR is, you know, the first truly new medium that we have seen in a very long time. We've seen many adaptations, but each of them, you know, comes along and it, it leans on the past. But when everything is be every type of storytelling and types of communication to this point has required on the whole, you know, someone's imagination or the mind's eye to see another world, another universe or imagine another world, another universe. So from books to plays to radio to television, you want suspension of disbelief for a little while to lose yourself in the story. And even with a static right. still, if you're looking at a visualization of a new tower block or whatever, the best teams tell stories through a single image through photography. But I have to right. have an asset in there or a person or a tree or whatever to make me understand size and scale and blah, 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 blah. But it was all, it's all in your head. Whereas VR is, I'm going to show you something and you're going to think it's real. And even if it's right. super shiny or low polygon or anything else, I'm not your mind's eye isn't kind of making this up anymore. You are seeing it. And for me, that was right. absolutely evolutionary or revolutionary for where we could go to tell stories in new ways. Closest thing is immersive theater, you know, or, or, or reality. <laughs> you, you step out right. on the street and what you see around <laughs> sure. you go, like, oh, this is what it looks like. I don't have to right, pretend right, right. or imagine it or understand how to look at plans or drawings. This is real. 
And so I knew that the, from that little glimpse that I wanted us to be a driving force within that space. And I wanted to create worlds and universes and tell stories that are worth people's time. I think, personally, I think that, um, talk about it a little bit more, but I think time is the only thing of value at all. Everything else is a construct by humanity and society to make us think things are valuable. But we have a finite amount of minutes on the planet and we don't know how many we're going to get roughly. So if we're going to exchange, if I'm going to exchange my time for something, it has to be really worthwhile because everything right. else is a waste of time. I might, I might exchange time for work. I might exchange time for a movie or I might exchange time for a game or a conversation with you. But I've got to be sure. okay with the fact that that minute has now gone. And there's so much content and st stuff out there, which is just awful. And people are losing. <laughs> <laughs> it just is badly made, badly put together, badly thought out and isn't worth someone's time. And I think we need to be more clear about making sure the stuff we make is valuable and useful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing that I'm really curious about is, is obviously you've gotten a lot of, you've gotten a lot of attention with some of your, uh, the VR work you've done. And mm -hmm. uh, from the early days of what you were doing, uh, I mean, you know, this is back when, Anything and every everyone was trying everything in VR, and there was a big yeah. marketing push, as you mentioned. Someone wanted to do something in Engadget, someone wanted to do something in Verge, just to show off something in VR. And as you said, there was a lot of crap that came out of that too. There was a lot of stuff that was like, "What? What's the point of this? What is this?" But obviously, the 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 through that that trial and error time, people have tried a bunch of other things. Yeah. Um, so my my, I'm curious to know what what have you what have you tried? Like, what are the things that, that has uh, driven you and what, where did, where, what have you learned during, you know, those, 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 la these last 10 years of, and, and, and uh, of, of what VR has meant and what has been able to be possible out of it? Yeah, it's, um, it's tricky. There's, there's the personal wants and desires. I mean, it, you go into anything. It's like the thing that makes you happy, um, may not mm -hmm. be the thing that makes you money, nor may no one else in the world might be interested in. Luckily, the internet sure. kind of brings disparate groups and you can make content for one person. There's probably another couple of other people out there in the world that like the same thing as you do. Um, sure. Uh, but when you're trying to push a new medium, a new platform, which has a new technology stack, you know, as Oculus was and then Facebook bought them, you need to make mm -hmm. content which is, has mass appeal and is, is valuable and worthwhile. So if you look at some of the stuff now on the Quest 2 and some of the content on that, I think it's truly excellent. I think the quality of it is good. I think the deliverable through that device is good. And I think it's, um, I, I think it's worth the money. I think, it, and also think, I right. think the developers are actually generating um, money from it. I mean, the, the big ones on that at the moment, for me, any of the Vader Immortal stuff, I'm a big Star Wars fan. So becoming part of, you know, entering the Star Wars universe and playing out a part within it, I think is absolutely amazing. Right. On the arcade game side, I think that any of the you know classics of Beat Saber or Super Hot um, show you what the idea is. So if you're going ethereal, going beyond your own representation and anything else, the thing that I think is most interesting is when you go past creating linear content for individuals and you just start bringing humans together, and humans will create their own stories in an empty space. If you have one human and a table and a block on it, nothing will happen. If you put another human sure. on the other side of it, I'll pick it up and I'll throw it to you. And then I'll say, how far can right. you throw it? And can you catch it? Can you juggle it? And whatever else it is. So only the multiplayer right. 
multi-user worlds that are being crafted, for me, are showing us an evolutionary step forward about how we communicate across borders. So Facebook Horizons is a glimpse of that universe. You know, we've had glimpses of it in the past. You know, if you look at um, any of the early, uh, oh, why can't I think of the name of it? The massive multiplayer, still running now. It'll come back. Okay. Any, of the, any of the previous technologies that allowed multiplayers to kind of come together, build their own worlds and their universes um, were all desktop and they didn't have any virtual reality, which meant you weren't really anything else. You were just representing yourself as an avatar. Whereas the right. quality of the, my avatar in Facebook Horizons and how we can meet and have this conversation is impactful, right. is meaningful, does build memories in a way that feels like I was truly present and truly there. And I think the turning of those dials up at the moment, I think is most interesting where we were already going in that direction anyway. The forcing function okay. of the acceleration of the pandemic has made us all, you know, reassess how we live, work, play, and how we access technology. And this idea of that a video screen for you and I is enough to have a, you know, we're happy having a conversation like this. We feel present, but it, it's definitely sure. clunky in comparison that if we were sitting across a table from each other, the nuances are right. lost. So if you we we now see where horizons are going or spatial IO is going or rec room is going or Roblox is going or face uh, or Fortnite is going, bringing mm -hmm. people together to have meaningful engagement in these platforms beyond games, I think is the thing that gets me really excited about where the technology is going and shows us kind of a step forward because the, the time we waste on commuting, I think is absolutely, you know, sinful. The time we waste yes. going to the other side of the planet on a on a on an aeroplane um, is a waste of it. But if I can represent the office, the football field, the cinema, my kids' school, and I can create universes which bring people together to communicate better, I think that's where we're going to make some good headway. And that's actually what a lot of our work has been laying the foundations for, allowing us to create content experiences within that space. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I think we've all come to realize certain parts of from, based on the pandemic that some of the some of the downfalls or the things that we opportunities, right? So, like, I spend you know, just as you mentioned, I spent about before this, I used to spend about two and a half hours a day in traffic, right, which was a little ridiculous. It was a good. I caught up on podcasts, which was good, <laughs> you know, and I did a bunch of other things. Uh, but but generally speaking, it was a it was a it was a, a treacherous uh, slog of a, of a of an event, right, that happened. So um, I I didn't necessarily find it very useful. Uh, but, uh, but I do find that like, Hey, I have a lot more time in my day and, and that's two things. One to, to be a little more focused, um, and to, um, and then also have more time with my family. Uh, and also, uh, I, I find that, uh, uh there's less stress when I start my day, I start my day relaxed because I just woke up <laughs> and I'm fine, you know, <laughs> as opposed to having fight, uh, having fight to fight traffic and everything else. So I definitely see what you, uh, what you mean by that. But uh, there, there's something interesting also about, you know, what you're really talking about is what, what the metaverse is going to mean beyond games. Right. And I think that that's a, an important part of uh, yeah. what we're going to start to look at. Um, but we're I think what's interesting, uh, Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. We're seeing glimpses of it. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing little shards or little ideas coming to fruition that we can tangibly touch or engage with. But 
we are, as everyone says, we're at the beginning of this process to find out where it's all going to end up. But I think we're finding point use cases which are opening up to other kind of use cases and opportunities to, to kind of connect. The, the VR one is going to be a big, uh, straightforward step. Re replace right. your reality with another reality. Replace this reality with another place that we can all go to, be it a digital twin of it, be it designed by some architect who doesn't have to worry about the laws of physics, be it from a movie set, be it my office. But we'll go there and we'll, we'll be in another place and it replaces this world around us. And I think that's pretty phenomenal. A, because a lot of us don't have, you know, the million pound mansions and everything else they might want to have the world. So let's replace the world we have with the world we want. The other one is that we can, that's the teleportation thing. For right. me, though, it's a stepping stone to mixed reality. It's a stepping stone to have a always on represented digital layer within my universe. So not a replacement. I'm going to bring you as a you know, set of polygons represented sitting across the desk from me to have our conversation and vice versa through the glasses that I wear right. an AR layer to put you and I into the same space instead of a digital construct. It's my house and it's your house. We're together. And then once you go to that point, every part of my day will have this digital layer as part of it from meetings and conversations to replacing the laptop to digital artwork to replacing the idea of the idea of having a, a, a TV in, in your front room is redundant. They're not going to be able to sell me a black box, which is physical hardware, because my glasses can put as many black boxes right. in on any surface of any size of any resolution. So the days right. of Samsung, LG, Sony, whoever else selling us TVs is numbered. They're all going to get to sell us glasses, but that's right. You know, th those ideas of those use cases are what we're talking about is apps and experiences and software um, that live within a mixed reality. And I think that anyone at the moment who's rallying around it are going, changes everything. The richness of the internet is going to become physical and spatial. And then all the ideas that these physical lumps of silicon in our in our homes are going to be cloud-based and we're just going to have a, a front end to them here. And so we all know that this right. wave is building of the metaverse, but the crash isn't around VR. The crash is around mixed reality, about the glasses that we wear all day, every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. But I think there's something that's missing a little bit. And the thing that I think is missing, and I can't quite always put my finger on it, but I always got upset about it. And you mentioned a little bit in the architecture world, and this is something that has happened before that I've been discussing for a while. Why do we need to have a couch in VR? I mean, it's just, or a coffee table in VR. You know what I mean? There is there is a something about that that it's like you've already liberated yourself from the reality. Why do you re insist on putting things that are necessary for <laughs> yeah. that to to be there, right? And then and then also, why do you design the ugliest piece of architecture imaginable <laughs> to be in as opposed to actually well, have real architects? Architect. <laughs> well, I no, but I, I that's or the thing, right? It's like. Or you're not an architect. And and the thing is, this world needs design and needs aesthetics and needs beauty. Uh, and the people that are good at doing that are not always contributing to that process. And I Absolutely. find that to be sad uh, and a missed opportunity. And right. so if you look at a company like Facebook, why isn't Facebook hiring 
you know, uh, some of the, you know, uh, best architects in the world to design the metaverse or, or, or even Epic at that point, you know? Totally. I absolutely, I've done many kind of closed door conversations, consultations with big architectural firms, big engineering firms, big real estate mm -hmm. companies looking at the future of their industry and is it going to go digital? Is it going to go hybrid? How is it going to affect our housing, where people live, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And my push for, for those people is always to say, well, if you can create a physical building, you should be creating a digital twin of it immediately. So there should always be the ability to inhabit this space from anywhere in the world because you already have the CAD. You just need to touch it up, get it, re get it ready so I can come and visit it. Sure. And it's all geo-locked and anything else. But then who how are you going to you know compete and how are you going to take your architecture into places that don't have a physical build when you can say all of my learnings that understood that I had to build something which was a certain way to allow it to be constructed be safe be anything else have fire exits yada 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 you can let those shackles off and let people play with architecture which is unbounded by the laws of physics and they go well you know who's going to want that I said well if you think about the idea of director avatar being a, a like a consumer driven way of selling clothes now you can buy gucci clothes for your avatar it never gets cloth cut it never gets patent mm -hmm. printed it never gets shipped somewhere it never gets put on a hanger but it's on your mm -hmm. representation of yourself the architectural world is going to have to go in the same way the challenge at the moment is that a hundred million dollar building is worth a lot to them to do at the minute there isn't a big enough market for those architects to start designing creating completely synthetic buildings without someone putting some money down because it's a very different uh, model but i absolutely agree it, we should be having architects doing it well and then the other thing is they've got to tear up so many of their rule books because they've yes. learned they've learned to create buildings that have humans moving around them who are a certain size and a certain speed and require lifts and things that we'd expect. And you asked about uh, coffee tables and chairs and you know all the boring stuff in that we don't need in VR. We need, or in these in the metaverse, we need them as a, a stepping stone. You know, we need them as a reality trope. We need them as the ability for us to understand space because right. for us, you know, our generation and the generations we have around them. The only way we can understand the world we're stepping into is with that. But digital natives and those that are born and have a greater access to technology become less dependent on old ways of thinking, old ways of being. Even myself, I'm, I've got identical twin boys at two and a half. The world mm -hmm. is built for them. It's not for me. I'm on the way out. And so the, the idea right. that I'm going to control the world that they're going to step into, they are going to be completely digital native across all platforms the idea right. that I, I have to physically go somewhere to go and meet someone i mean even now it's kind of being torn up but for them they're just going to go oh, i'll just i'll just go into my whatever right. platform and i'll meet them or they'll come to me and we'll play in the back garden that's true and that 
does not. Yeah. I think, uh, 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 you know, our kids generation is going to have a very different future. And I think it's very interesting. Like, you know, there's necess- not necessarily a need for them to learn how to drive because self-driving cars, right? There's not necessarily a thing going on where you need to even buy a car because again, self-driving cars and then you just get a go once someplace you go someplace you're done yeah. you know uh and that changes a bunch of aspects of what is what we think is common or would never go away you know yeah uh, and people are going to have a hard time giving that up you know just in the same way that people are having a hard time giving up a gas powered car they're going to yeah. have a hard time giving that up because like that's familiar not only is it familiar it is part of their culture right it is part yeah. of their history it's what they do and like, i fix cars for a living i was like well you may not need to do that anymore. And no, that's I agree. <laughs> I agree. So that's gonna be it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be really hard. Um, but there's a lot of exciting things. And I think you've always sort of, you know, you know, I've been looking through a lot of the stuff that you guys do at Rewind, and you guys do touch on a bunch of things that are part of the familiar and very much part of the future, right? Because that's it was like here's what the familiar is going to become in some ways, and here's yeah. what it's gonna what the what that looks like. And one of the things that you guys explored is uh, games and uh, and and what you know sports in that way. Yeah. Uh, so uh, why don't you? Uh, uh, and I know you you've done a little bit. Of, you've talked a little bit about that at the real time conference and and places like that. So give me a little bit of that flavor of like you know we've talked about the architecture thing, which I'm really excited about, and I can go on forever, but. I want to talk a little bit about sports and about well, esports every, and what that means. Every, every time I try and leave the architecture industry, it keeps dragging me back in. Like every oh, well, time good, I think good. I'm done talking about someone's CAD model, someone's BIM, someone's whatever, I get handed <laughs> like, oh, and here's the next project. We've just got the whole thing. It's a small city. Can you just work, run, run it in Unreal? No. <laughs> right, of course. No, not yet. Yeah. Uh, but Not, we can yep. we'll work on that with you to make that accessible. Yep. But yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's 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 the way people design the world around us, and so it, it absolutely sure. it's always going to be there. Humanity now designs everything in a computer first. Well, then it lives in a computer. Then you can you can get someone to physically make it or three D print it, or you can keep it digital and it'll stay there. But yeah, sports is really yep. interesting. So sports really for us leans into live events, and live events is music performance, even shopping centers are live event spaces. They just have the ability mm-hmm. that the experience is buying and selling things. But um, sports is really interesting because we have generated, we, we have a lot of different sporting events. Um, and for humanity, we love risk. We love stories with risk involved. And for pretty much most of the stories we tell, there's no risk involved. We try and create danger and whatever else but if you watch a movie you know how the arc's going to go and they're almost going to die and then everything's fine at the end because that's what makes most people happy about it but with sport we don't know who's going to win we think we know going to win but the drama of that it feeds the human spirit it's it's the same as like when we used to go to war and we to battle the village next door but we replaced battling with kicking a football around or throwing things to each other and um, we have our gladiators which are now you know tennis players or anything else and so there's something really visceral about sport which i think is um, phenomenal but when we watch sport currently or, or consume sport currently 99 percent of us are consuming it through a frame directed by a director who has camera angles who are trying to tell us a story through the shots so they're telling us in a medium, which is about a linear medium, but it's very good. We can have close-ups, we can have far away, we've added slow-mo, there's some volumetric ways of being able to move the camera around, which is pretty awesome. Um, 
but all of it is curtailed into a way or told to us in a way which is one size fits all so you may be able to watch it with a different commentator that might be interesting but normally it's one stream that comes out and that's how you watch it um if you go to a sporting event though it's kind of interesting that it's not that great you watch the big screen more than you watch the players on the field or you talk to your friend next to you sociably it is amazing right. to be there, but you're still engaged with it in a way that's offhand. And the flip of it happens for the people on, uh, at home. And then, again, as we know through the pandemic, a game without fans in the stands, a game without the audio of the crowd cueing you for the excitement, which is the same way as you're cued for, to laugh in a rom-com or like a, you know, a, a friends or anything else, it falls on its face. So they need fans in the stand to build excitement for the home viewers. And a, a couple right. of sports have told me that directly. So we can generate fake fans and that was anything else. So if in, in the stadium is okay, but not amazing, at home is one size fits all. We have the ability now with technology to do a hybrid, a new way to engage with sport and to tell unique individual stories in different ways. And where the challenger is is esports so esports has come out of in quotes nowhere it hasn't but mm -hmm. you know four four or five hundred million people yearly engaging with esports which requires very little athletic prowess you just have to be a smart person with access to technology and some good reaction times and anybody can be a player which is where most of the grassroots sports came on um mm -hmm. but also the tournaments are funded by the audience, you know, uh, League of Legends final, half the money comes from people donating money for loot boxes. So the engagement, the excitement, the digital first way people engage with it. And then the platforms that connect with it are Twitch with a hundred different streamers giving you their story they want to tell you. Um, right. So that transition of esports is having an impact on traditional sports where there's a mismatch, but an understanding that this demographic is either going to transition to normal sport and sport needs to transition up or they're not gonna. And this will just fade out with the aging demographic who care less and less about NFL, soccer, Formula One or anything else. So there's a, there's a burning platform. And what we can do with VR um, and AR, and mixed reality and artificial intelligence and lots of digital verse things that we can put them in a melting pot to reimagine new ways to get to audiences, to excite them, to allow them to feel present one of the most straightforward one is in this time is just a digital sports bar. So the ability for me to bring 2D content in to lay out a mini version of the entire field right in front of us and to have my five or six best friends feeling present like we had the best corporate box, the best view in the house, the best commentator in the room. And we were enjoying right. this together um, without needing to travel two hours or spend a thousand dollars on a ticket or, 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 or. Um, I think is a pretty impactful thing that's happening. The other one, which is our Weaver platform, which I talked about at real-time conference, is we have a platform to look at, an, a an AI platform that looks at the last 5,000 games of Dota and mm -hmm. then drives an AI, uh, sorry, a narrative engine off the back of that. So it's watching the current game, knows the last thing, 5,000 games and tells you, hey, so I know you're really into this team, that player has never done anything like this before. It's going to be really exciting how it's going to end up. He might die. He might win. 
and it draws attention to me because I know it knows me and how I play and it's talking to sure. me at the moment it's working in text, but we're, you know, plugging it into an audio engine. It can talk to me in its voice, plugging it into meta humans is represented as an avatar, which looks however I want it to look. And so suddenly yeah. I have a commentator that's talking to me and it's like, imagine you had uh, your favorite coach or your favorite player or the most knowledgeable person in the game who talks to you and tells you about the stuff and gets you really excited about what you're playing. So we're turning that for, for esports first because it's an incredibly rich data set, un, untapped place and the demographics moving through. But we're going to be able to apply that onto traditional sports as well. And the interesting bit is where that clash and where that evolution happens. In fact, I'm doing a talk at COGX this year on how what the Olympics in 10 years is going to look like. Not only from fan engagement, but sports. They announced that they're right. doing some digital esports as part of this Olympics. Off, you know, off to one side, but they know just the same as, you know, the, the Olympics before brought BMX in. In two years' time, there's going to be esports. Maybe it'll be Fortnite. Maybe it'll be Dota. Maybe it'll be, you know, something we don't know about yet. But I think this is going to. I mean, obviously, this is going to upset a bunch of people. Right. I mean, this is going to be disruptive you, in depends a lot what you, of ways. Why people are upset? The the people in the sporting are used to people paying thousands of dollars for a front row, you know, like near the benches uh, 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 position at an NBA game. They want people to pay top dollar for that. And now they're like, anyone can be at that exact. Anyone can be. You can have a thousand people in that one seat. <laughs> Absolutely. That's going to be the prime seat, right? Yeah. And that's going to be something that, that people used to pay a premium for, and now not, people aren't going to pay a premium for. It's true. But, right? You've got to, but, got to think, why are people are upset? And who are the people that are upset? And there's, there's different ways of looking at it. There's an exclusivity to it <laughs> that the people want. And that, again, is one of the – go back to the thing about time. We, humanity, um, respects and values scarcity. Gold scarce is worth right. something. There's only one Mona right. Lisa, it's worth something. There's only 10 of these seats that are worth something. They're worth something right. to people that need them to be bartered against, to be seen on the front row or whatever else, or I'm wealthy enough or whatever it is. Going back to that time thing, if we can get past some of these constructs into what else is valuable, spending time with my friends, enjoying something we like watching together and not being worried whether we're seen or not is valuable to me. But the business yes. models are the challenge. The business model of sport is tickets, live events, live events, same thing. People in a space, right. paying money, food and beverage sales, paying money, licensing deal, paying money, global licensing deal, paying money. New way right. in, wait, uh, they've already got the rights. You can't, ha you can't have this. You can't show that right. game in that way because Sky own it or AT&T own it or anything else. Right. But if you can get a digital platform which allows me to pay directly to you, so I, being in, in the UK, I pay a hundred bucks a year to the NFL, directly to the NFL, to watch all of the NFL games, other than a couple that are licensed in the UK. But that's okay. not to whoever has the licensing rights for sports games in the US. And that's because they don't really care about the UK at the minute. But at some point, right. I'm going to, all of those ideas that we saw sweeping through software, where it was, you know, ownership, then it was subscription, and it's sometimes going to go to use. Those models mm -hmm. are going to sweep over sport where I'm going to pay Manchester United, the team, direct actors because I want to watch them and I want them to get all my money. And they're going to allow me to access their content in a different way. 
so we've got to we've got to see that the pressures on all these sports which are old ways of thinking of heritage ways and people are holding on to them because they're squeezing money out are gonna get have to change i mean we've seen that a couple right. of times recently where they've been creaking into going well i better pay attention because of this or a super leagues forming or anything else but um going back to the, the ticketing thing so those 10 seats basketball game they're very right. expensive there will still be people that want to go to those physical ones and they'll still be really valuable um same as any sort of you know music event or anything but if i can make you so those tickets are a thousand dollars a ticket i can make right. a copy of that seat which is virtually accessible that an infinite number of people could go to but let's say it's a, a million we'll, we'll cap it if we have to um but i can sell them for 10 bucks a ticket i can get a million right. people to do 10 bucks a ticket instead of your one a thousand although right. the the number changes and yes it's a different thing but once you go to software scale connecting to live events and you're accessing consumers that want to pay you directly for those tickets the model is so open and so much better because I'm paying for access, not by Burger King to allow me to have sponsored access or someone to control it. I think there's a real flip coming about actually consumers paying for the content directly. Even subscription models muddy the, more, the water. My seven ninety nine, and I get as much as I can eat through Netflix. Right. I would rather pay fifty cents for each thing that I watch instead of all the things I don't watch. Right. Well, that's always been the model, right? That's been the that's been the thing where people are, are have been complaining about it, and uh, in the in the at least in the United States in the cable industry, right? The cable industry mm -hmm. has always been like, well, you know, uh, uh, you're you're paying one hundred and twenty dollars or one hundred fifty dollars for for cable, and you're you're getting like five hundred channels, but like. Four hundred and ninety-five of them are crap or things you're not interested in, right? And then and and it, and you're paying like let's say you're not into sports, you know, forty percent of your bill goes to ESPN, which you don't watch, right? So so why why are you paying that? And that's the thing when suddenly people started saying, oh, I'm going to get a lot of great content out of Netflix or whatever, and I can choose what I want to do or see. Uh, that's when cable cutting started to happen. But if you're saying it's like not only you're, you're going to cut it down even more, like I only are interested in these things on yeah. Netflix or these things on, on, on Disney Plus. I think it's coming. And I think it, it's, it's a natural progression where we can get more and more individual, more and more targeted to the, the, the fans. Um, case in point, pixel streaming, you know, pixel streaming technology is phenomenal because it takes away the required for hardware here. I can give you a link and you have full access to a full powered GPU box in the cloud and I can create a right. phenomenal experience for you. It's fully interactive, right. fully real time, multi-user, pick your platform, AR, VR, desktop, I don't give a damn. But right. it costs us a buck, a buck an hour, maybe four bucks an hour. Right. That doesn't work unless the consumer is actually paying something for access because whoever is at the other end says, oh yeah, I want a million people to log in. I'm like, well, that's a million dollars an hour for you to talk to those people. Oh, but the internet's right. for free. I'm like, well, the internet for streaming video can be for free, but this isn't. Yeah. This is something different. This is interactive, active, participatory content changing right. every person's view on the world. Yep. But if we have a fan base, say, um, say we, so we worked with um, Madison Beer. So Madison Beer is the, uh, an American pop star, 
and we helped do the immersive concert for her for um, Verizon's keynote and it's part of Sony's immersive um, new studio. But the principle being, she's got 26 million followers on Instagram. If she tweets out a link to those on her account, let's say she only gets 1% of them kind of following mm. through. Um, and from that 1%, they spend 10 bucks. That's millions yeah. of dollars. Millions right. of dollars from that, from that area. Pays for the content, pays for access, whatever. Maybe it's 10%. What if she got half of them? What if she got 13 million people to, to do something and be actively engaged? Once you have a following, it doesn't matter where they are globally, they have access to it. And that's the scale that software gets you. It's not the scale right. which a linear broadcast through a T cable network gets you. It's not even the same scale that you get through Netflix, which is a subscription model and people may log in. They might be interested in whatever. The, the, the user, there's good numbers on people watching stuff, but like the highest is 56 million. Because sure. we're not targeting down to exactly what a small demographic want, making content for them. Um, and that's where sport has that very special thing and live events has it. We have fans, mm. diehard fans that have loved this team for all time or loved this artist for her entire career. And they want to engage. And they and you know, we all want to be on that front bench row. We all want to be have a backstage pass. And through right. immersive, we can give people those sorts of experiences at scale where we have a touch of those sorts of things. Yes. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting because you know, I've seen I've seen live uh, you know live Fortnite events, which are pretty interesting, right? And those uh, uh, like the Travis Scott thing was pretty cool. Did you go? <laughs> I did. Good. Well, <laughs> I, was, I, I was with my I was with my son. My son loves loves Fortnite, and he was like, "Well, there's this big Travis Scott." He didn't even really know who Travis Scott was because he's a little yeah. young, right? And it, which is fine. And he were like, "This was a." ridiculous experience and it wasn't even vr it was like we're just looking at it on our tv and but you're interacting with it you are part of that experience and it becomes a completely cool thing and listen people go to concerts and come concerts are amazing but you've never been to a concert where you're jumping through the air no. <laughs> with a <laughs> zero gravity and flipping around and seeing everything happen around you. And you're like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And it's so much fun to do that. And that's an experience that's not possible. But then at the same time, they'll do a Chris Nolan event on Fortnite and you're yeah. just looking at a big screen and it's not necessarily like that doesn't fit. That's the couch in the living room again. <laughs> you know what I mean? But did you, the Star Wars one was pretty cool. So they managed to, you know, you're out there. They did play the trailer as a 2D element, but sure. you're there and the Millennium Falcon buzzes you guys like and flies around and does a bunch of like it's it and it lands in front of you and it's. Um, so yeah, you right. can use the medium in either way. I utterly agree. Just, just playing it out isn't, isn't as good with the Travis right. Scott stuff. Um, it was a Rolling Stone journalist who just had an awful time. <laughs> like he's right. like, I normally go to bars and gigs, get drunk at the back, watch a cool band, talk to my friends, go home, write it up. This, right? I didn't get the technology. I didn't go on a thing. I didn't know what I was supposed to look at. Whatever else. And do you know what? It's because it's not for him. It's not. For no, his, it's not for him. It's nope. not for his demographic and the things that he likes. And that's, I, right. I mean, that's a, that's, you know, it's a bigger clash than anything else is that the evolution, the stuff, the pressure through technology change 
that used to happen to humanity used to be generations, hundreds of years for a new piece of a new idea to spread across the planet and be adopted and to have an impact on a society. Now you can come up with an idea in the morning, run it up in whatever bit of software you want, get it online, tweet to the world, and the entire world could pick something up and change and start using it within a day. And so, sure. but that impact means that every time we try and set roots over like how we're going to run a business or how we're going to run a community, there's always pressures of sloshing around about how the whole thing could be changed within a heartbeat. And it's really hard to set down roots. So we've got to be able to adapt and change. Sadly, as we get older, our ability to change to new things gets less and less possible. That's why, sure. you know, my father-in-law is very specific of the things he likes. You know, he's open right. to listening to other things, but he likes them his way. I'm getting right. a little bit more set in, set in my ways. You know, mm -hmm. I need somebody under 25 to operate some of the kit we have because mm -hmm. it's just a little out of my reach. Right. But the, and my kids are going to be having the same thing, but that sweep through. So we need to understand that there's different demographics in our society, different audiences in our society, and we need to be able to deliver them. And I think going back a step to what we're all talking about is that practically we're at a really interesting point for the technology where we're getting one unified core asset pipeline that's standing up and can be robust enough to generate different kinds of experiences and content from it. That tool chain of the software, the 3D assets and the CAD that comes in at the bottom, goes up, becomes optimized, comes out into virtual production for a linear film, comes out into television for a short form, comes out into PlayStation 4 for an interactive, comes out as a mobile game, comes out into augmented reality, comes out into vert like the story world and the characters, the line through the middle stays. And then depending on how we want to interact with the world, it comes out in different directions. And Star Wars is the best at that currently of holding the law of the, the, the story, allowing it to be a cartoon for kids and a VR game for headsets, great feature films, TV series, you name it, all coming off this one core world that they've built. And I think more of that stuff, um, let alone that the story was there, but it's the same. It can be the same asset that kind of comes through. If you look at what happened with Epic's new MetaHumans technology, which is a incredibly accurate, well-rigged, in quotes, photorealistic digital human, digital puppet, it has 10 levels of detail that it spits out along with it. So not right. only can you get the super high quality ray trace one, but you get the not quite high quality one which works on desktop or on mobile or on PlayStation One. <laughs> there is a like a really awful crappy like hundred right. poly version of the character. But it's yep. understanding there are so many different ways to interact with it. And same as all of the people in architecture, same as people in visual effects. We've always had these disparate 3D pipelines and they are just like the stars are aligning under like oh, one asset pipeline where the tools actually talk to each other. Right. Right. Yeah, it's 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 
it's true. I think there's definitely going to be some some interesting uh, uh, process that goes on and 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 how people use the tools. And I also think it's a mentality, right? I mean, we always I, I've made this comment many times where people people are like, I don't understand why someone would watch, would watch someone else play video games. It's like, well, you're watching someone else play basketball, so I don't see yeah. what the difference is. Really, <laughs> why aren't you playing basketball? You know, and it's like this because you're not as good as them, and that person that's playing that video game is more skilled than I am, and I want to see what it's like to play that game with skill as opposed to yeah. me getting frustrated and wanting to flip my desk all the time. Uh, so, so there is something to be said about that process. And I think it's very interesting, but I also think that this does change the medium, right? If you look at, uh, was it uh, Deloitte and Touche's research recently about uh, what what uh, generations are interested in, and you look at the current, you know, the new gen the Gen Ys, and and uh, right now, it's like their interest is uh, their interest is games and movies content is way down the list. They're actually not as interested in 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 movie content, and I think that you know uh, the the Hollywood mentality is going to have to change for that to happen. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, the gaming industry has a uh, is going to be a platform for which content and story is going to take place in a yeah. lot of ways. But also, as going to to back a step, it's about delivering different um, ways into that those story worlds. So mm -hmm. for some of us, you know, I, on Sunday I want to watch James Bond, but on Monday I sure. want to be I want to be James Bond. And you, <laughs> right. you could, with, you know, VR or a PlayStation title, I can be participate in a world, drive a story, be wearing the persona of James Bond on a Monday. But on Sunday, you know, I want a director who knows how to craft the frame to tell me a story. And I want to be lean back because I'm in a different mode, a different energy. And even with the, you know, kids coming with, with with you know being really interested in esports it's the same thing sometimes they want to play the game sometimes they want to watch someone else play the game sometimes they want to watch behind the scenes sometimes it's like it's the same levels of different types of content of access right. but i think what has really changed for the you know the demographic coming through compared to the traditional sports is that they want they're active all the time whether either watching a linear piece or not they are engaged on Twitch, talking to their friends, they're part of a community. It's always on, it's on demand. It's you know, multi-user, cross-platform across wherever they want to be at any time. And they're part of it. They're engaged with it. And even if you go to an esports tournament, it's like going to a convention. It's not like going to a football match where it's my team against your team. It's a celebration of everything to do with the sport that they love. And there's a game that's happening at the front of it. It doesn't hasn't sure. got to a point where it's like, one or one or the other and it hasn't got that kind of some of the, the the tropes that traditional sports have which i don't like that are hopefully are going to fade away but i think it's more interesting how that, that and even in a linear film we talk about a movie kids you know they don't have want an hour and a half or two hours of this they want a bit of this and then a little bit of that and a bit of this and a bit of that and then come back to it mm -hmm. like they're always moving between different modes of communication operation understanding entertainment and so you need the ability to flick those different modes. Yes. But what you're really talking about here is an interesting point of view is, and this is a key to VR, is, is uh, uh, 
third person narrative versus first person experience, right? And yeah. that's a that is something that's important. Um, and especially when you're talking about like esports, basically esports removes yourself from the narrative, but you're watching it happen. And that engagement is very important. I think a lot of people think that third person is lesser, but it can be more <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. It's, it's um, so, an easy. It's an easier role to play. How many? Right. I, mean, I I love immersive theatre. The reason I love immersive mm -hmm. theatre is that I'm an extrovert. I like people. I like pretend. I probably should have been on theatre on stage at some point. Haven't, but I feel like that's right. a missed calling. And so immersive theatre lets me pretend to be a character, and and that's something that I enjoy. Other people, the right. idea of being asked, you know, stand out in front of people, or be seen, or have to pretend. It's so alien to them. It's uncomfortable, and so you, sure. when you are third person, there's a character in front. It looks like a pirate. Okay, well I can do piratey things. That's what pirates do. I understand what a pirate does. I don't have to pretend because it's not actually me in the same way. But right. when you go first person, even though it's the you know the same game, the same title, because you don't have that ability to see well. Know, pirate hat, pirate coat, pirate things, whatever else, and I'm watching it from afar, it's far more visceral that it's you. And someone looks you in the eye and says, what do you want to do? It's far more uncomfortable to a whole uh, whole bunch of people. It makes it really, really difficult to engage with. Um, that's why, uh, I don't know if you've tried The Void. You've probably done The Void, haven't you? The, the, mm -hmm. So they had a really good Star Wars experience, and you all go in, and there's four of you, and you're all stormtroopers and you have to kind yep. of battle your way through it. And what they asked you to be was yourself, who just happened to be put into a, a stormtrooper outfit. They're not saying you are one. You are, right. you are, can you pretend to be one and sneak yeah. through this? So no one had to be anyone else than themselves hiding in an outfit. And that took away yeah, you, a lot you, of you, you became a fish out of water. Like that's part of the story yeah. is you are yeah. a fish out of water, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, um, they use that as a really good way of allowing people to engage where there was huge numbers of people that wouldn't when they were told, you are Boba Fett. Well, I'm not Boba Fett. I, I'm, I don't know how to pretend to be him. Some people do, some people don't. You're just a stormtrooper. Right. You, know, you're, you're, right. you are yourself. You're, pretend, you're trying to sneak through this. And they did some really right. good work there. The other thing I kind of like from that, just on a side note, was um, I saw one of their talks. And there's a bit when you're going down in the lift and the box open next to you and all the, gu the guns are there and everyone's asked to go and pick one up and at some point one of you will shoot the gun probably at your friend it just will you'll shoot the gun an alarm goes off smoke comes out you, you have to bust out of the lift and it's this real bit like why did you shoot oh yeah and they built that as a story point because it's like brings the team together and gives you something to talk about afterwards with something ridiculous that happened and i said right. well what what happens if the no one shoots each other that surely the plot point disappears he said well we just make one of the guns go off and by accident by, <laughs> by accident which means but quote unquote argument. by accident yeah, yeah, yeah. You, well, i did it it went off in my hand and you get the yeah, same yeah. story point out of humans all interacting but they right. just manipulate that that story point have because so much of that uh experience is about the four of you doing something together as a group and being able to talk right. about it afterwards. And I think it's really interesting that when you are present and yourself with some other people, the guiding of that experience through it, you can put guardrails up, which is really powerful. And some of the best stories in VR have those points where you feel like I'm the first person ever to go down this way and do this thing. 
you know, and sure. I've done it all on my own volition. No, you know, I, it, I'm a completely free spirit, but really they've just been, you know, putting walls up, nudging you this way, setting the thing up. It's all kind of um, psychology and psychologic tricks, but it makes it so much more impactful for you when you get to the other end. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's, that's great. Now, listen, I know you're, you're I don't, I, you're sensitive on time and I want to make sure you have plenty of opportunity <laughs> to talk a little bit about rewind and some of the things you guys are, are doing. So, uh, can you give people a little bit of an idea of what's going on right now and, 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 and some of the things to look forward to and, and, uh, uh you know, what's going on exactly? Yeah. So we've been, um, we've been really lucky. We've, we've been growing for 10 years and we have a, a, a good sized studio. There's about 50 of us now. Um, and we're hiring. That's probably the best thing I'm trying to say. We're looking nice. for really always hiring. And as of this year, we've pulled the trigger to fully flexible working environment. So people can work full time in the office, part time in the office or no time in the office. So we just hired a bunch of people in Scotland and which means we can also work with people remotely all over the world. We're just looking for some of the best talent. Um, we're an Unreal Engine first studio. We do obviously work with Unity and all other platforms, but we're looking for really talented Unreal Engine people and also anyone who's deep kind of C++ would be a valuable asset. We're an engineering heavy studio at the minute making large experiences. Um, mm -hmm. And so within, within, within the company, we've kind of reimagined ourselves. We've taken the best people from the games industry and given them a blank canvas to say, well, let's leave the old world behind. But those tools, those real-time tools are going to be what's driving our future and driving the type of content we're doing. So in, in the middle of the studio, there's obviously still some really good quality work for hire projects. We have some big studios coming in. We've got a couple of tech companies coming in and they're asking us to create stories and experiences that can hopefully get reach. And as VR is beginning to gather pace, that's really cool. But as I said earlier, our experiences are also going to live as pixel streamed experiences, meaning that we can get the highest quality, fully active, stories told to anybody in the world on any device and that i think is a phenomenal change in mentality of the type of work we're doing um last year we created a a project for mbc universal using holorides technology who actually just raised their um, series a which we're really proud about um the idea of putting a virtual reality headset on being in the back of a vehicle and i can change the world around you whilst you drive so you can be back. That's kind of scary. <laughs> you, well, if your car is fully, if it can drive itself, absolutely. At the moment, it's backseat mainly. But when we're right. all passengers, the idea of what do you want to do on your journey can be replaced. So the technology allows us to create, you know, you can drive around historically through dinosaurs or back in time or in the future or fight aliens or be at work early if you wanted to. Um, because we're matching the headset motion with the, car it's a one-to-one -one match perfect fit takes away any idea of nausea and gives us an open platform to create cool stuff we then hook into map data and we can create you know uh worlds that are procedurally generated from the street you're driving down so the lamppost right. becomes a monster or the stoplight becomes a chasm of a bridge or any buildings become x or y or whatever you want it to be so we're generating these these games and experiences off the back of that technology that means as we drive around, maybe less these days, um, but when we sure. do, we have a world that we want to show people. And that's been really exciting. For, so the proof point was last year, we spoke about it at South by Southwest, was a Bride of Frankenstein experience for NBC. So um, we had a 
10 cars from Ford. We had them at um, Universal Theme Park as a test bed more than anything else. You get in the car, put a headset on, you and your friend, and suddenly you're transported to nine, kind of a 1920s slash America slash Transylvania world. And the bride of Frankenstein jumps in the car with you. And she's like, get me the hell out of here. And the car drives off. Mm-hmm. And the driver takes you out of the parking lot, out onto the freeway, out to the public streets, and then back in again. And the story is that you know, she's being chased by Dracula's ghouls because she's stolen um, Frankenstein's heart and she's going to replace it. And you have to help her on her journey and her experience. And it's proved out what we could do is that with that experience, because it's all running in real time, you and your friend are participating, what if the Uber that picks you up to take you to the cinema part of the movie is in the car on the way to the film you know what you know right what if you get in a car and you'll get your your uber or your, your driverless car is taking you to the next um to the next uh, baseball game or nfl game and during the journey you've got the coach sitting in the front seat telling you about the history of the team or what he's going to do today or whatever else it's going to be so you can have these moments of experience of entertainment where which were completely lost to traffic completely lost to wasted time where we can enhance experience and extend the experience or maybe you're on the you're in a car back from seeing a favorite pop star and you know what he's going to do an encore with you in carpool karaoke on the car on the way home like we can give you these really good flavors of it and it's such a new platform that we're really enjoying experimenting into this space because holoride now is going to be coming to most major car manufacturers over the next two years which means anyone with a headset has an enabled vehicle. That's pretty. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty substantial yeah, uh, and really cool. Yeah, yeah. we're excited. Yeah, about that's it. not a small thing. That's not a small <laughs> thing. That's pretty awesome. Uh, well, listen. So I, I, I really appreciate. It. People should definitely follow follow you and follow your company and see all the cool it. things you guys are doing. Uh, so uh, obviously, your site is rewind.co. That's your company uh, site. But what are other places that people can follow you and good platforms to check out some of the cool stuff um, you guys are doing? We've been, uh, we've been running a, a, a virtual reality London, so VR, VRLO, and we upgraded it to XRLO last year because A, um, it needs to be broader than virtual reality, and B, we couldn't be physical anymore. And we moved it to medium, so XRLO.co or just, mm-hmm. just XRLO on Google. You'll find not only a whole bunch of really interesting kind of um, videos and podcasts, but we've been doing a lot of um, community deep dive on very hard tech subjects. So how do you create massive crowds for Optimize? How would you link your perf force with your Jira? Blah, 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 blah. So basically just sharing our knowledge out into the world as much as possible and releasing some of our software and our tools. So yeah, I would really recommend checking out XRLO if you really want to understand under the hood what's going on at Rewind. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sol. I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for the time, Chris. It's really great to catch up. Mm-hmm.